0: good morning my name is John and I had the privilege of preaching to you this morning Uh, for those of you who may not know me uh, I am NOT a pastor here and so uh, as pastor Paul mentioned uh, this week the board and the staff of Evergreen uh, are on retreat and the pastor uh, one of the pastors here who was scheduled to preach uh, had a, a, a family emergency and so I got a call uh, from Pastor Waraki, and he was just asking if I could preach uh, more specifically on community. And so it's my privilege to be able to do that this morning. Uh, and so I'm not, just not, I'm not just the low man on the totem pole on the <laughs> chain. I'm not even on the totem pole. <laughs> so I'm not a pastor here, but uh, I, I uh, served here as a pastor many years ago as an associate. We planted a church uh, out of Evergreen out in the Chino Valley, and then five years ago, uh, I felt called to join a mission called See Jesus, and so I currently serve as a missionary with them and attend this church as a congregant here. And so uh, it's my pleasure to bring God's word with you, uh, to you this morning. Uh, I grew up in Southern California. Uh, Many of you may know that I grew up more specifically in Monterey Park and uh, attended Alhambra High School Anybody attend Alhambra High School right now? There you go, the Moores. Yes. And so if you've ever been to Alhambra High School, you know that uh, if you take Third Street and you walk on the street, and go right, it, it goes right into the campus, and as you walk into that street in the campus, and you look uh, to your right, next to, I don't know if it's still called this, but next to Building A, is this one area that back in the day we called the quad. And the quad was called that because it was in the shape of a square, and uh, there were some big trees that were, had planters there and benches around it, and there were rows of concrete benches, and uh, it just kind of was this gathering place. And if you went to Alhambra High School at that particular time, you knew that was where the cool people hung out. Anybody who's anybody hangs out in the quad. And yet as a freshman, I knew I was not anybody, but I knew the rules. So I could sit on the edge of the quad, but I dare not move into the quad. Because to be in the quad, you you needed to have a letterman's jacket showing that somehow you had some kind of athletic talent you need to have certain kind of clothes or shoes or if you parked on 3rd street you needed to have a certain kind of car that was lowered to a certain level <laughs> with the loudness of a certain muffler. And so maybe if you're currently in high school you may know what I mean. It may, there may not be a quad in your high school, but you know that there are always insiders and outsiders. And whether we want to admit it or not, inside of each of us, we not only know who's inside and who's outside, but we know, usually, where we are. Unfortunately, when we get older, this doesn't always change. So maybe it's no longer sports or grades or fashion, but as we get older, it becomes position that we hold, the income that we earn, the marriage or the person we married or if we're married at all. Unfortunately, this also continues on sometimes in the church as well. And so in the church, it might be those who have been here the longest, those who are are leaders, those who know uh, those who are in authority. And so it doesn't matter how old you are or where you are, Unfortunately, this happens naturally where people gather. The same thing was going on over 2,000 years ago on the day of Jesus. And so this morning, let's see how he addresses this particular issue. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. And please rise with me for the reading of God's word. Luke 14, verses one through 14. One Sabbath when he, that being Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Verse seven. Now he told a parable to those who were invited, and when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in a place of honor lest someone more distinguish you distinguished than you, be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place, but when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that your host comes, when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Lord, we come before your word and we ask that you would bring not only clarity but conviction and equipping and encouragement and nourishment in and through your word as your spirit brings it. And I pray that it would be a timely word for each of us in very specific ways. And so speak to us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Try to picture it. Big house, big party. It was a big deal. Everyone was gathered at the house of not just a Pharisee, but a ruler of the Pharisees. All the important people were there. The religious A-listers, And dinner parties like this were not just for social gatherings, they were opportunities for social advancement. And so if we looked around the room, we'd see people who were the most powerful of the day, the most wealthy, the most educated, the most religious, the most respected and envied people in the community. But if we looked around the room carefully, we would look to the corner and see that there were two people that obviously didn't quite fit. One was Jesus, and so yes, he was a teacher, but his teaching of grace graded against the legalism of the religious. And the second person definitely stuck out like a sore thrum, because he was a man who had dropsy and dropsy is an old way to refer to the medical term edema or edema. And edema is a severe swelling of the body, usually in the lower portion, usually indicating congested heart failure. I remember many, many years ago being in Haiti and uh, being on a short term missions tip, trip, and we were walking through a, a medical facility, and one of the guys on our team was a doctor. And uh, we were sitting at lunch. After serving all morning, we were exhausted. We were eating lunch. And a little boy, a uh, bald little boy, uh, standing about this tall, came up and began to beg uh, for our lunch in Creole. And we were heartbroken because we knew we could not give him the food because there were strict restrictions. They were very careful about Uh, what they are feeding and to whom. And so we were trying to explain to him we'd love to share, but we couldn't. And and, and as we were talking to him through this translator, uh, I noticed his legs. And they were like uh, uh, cylinders each, about this round and this thick. And as he moved, it looked like he was in pain. And my buddy, who's a doctor, uh, said he probably has edema or, or edema and he probably has congestive heart failure. And so sadly, uh, a few years later, I I followed up and found out that he had uh, passed away not too long after that. The man in today's story was probably in deep pain, maybe uh, overly swollen torso and legs, probably terminally ill and What made matters worse Was that those at the party assumed that he was in that condition because secretly he must have done something wrong and somehow this was a punishment from God On top of that he was sick and therefore he was ceremonially unclean and so no one wanted to touch him let alone shake his hand. Can you imagine how he was feeling? Pain, so unworthy, asking why am I here? As a freshman at Alhambra High School, I didn't have the cool clothes, I didn't know necessarily which ones were which, and I didn't have the money to buy them, I didn't have necessarily the cool friends, nor did I have the cool car, And I knew it. And so as a young 14 year old, I felt like a nobody. And on top of that, to make matters worse, as a freshman, when you would go walking through the halls, it was traditional Alhambra High School that uh, seniors had permission to hit any freshman uh, with pennies. Does that still continue today? It does. Quarters. The economy they, 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 They've accommodated for inflation. Wow, quarters. So they've adjusted for inflation. It was kind of like a, a copper stoning. So you could be walking, and, and they, they, they perfected uh, this ability to actually snap their fingers and hit you in the head with it. And the worst thing you could do when you were pelted by a penny is go pick it up because the minute you did, then you just had a, a shower of pennies coming your way. You ever feel like that? Out of place? Uncomfortable? Maybe a little pain? Invisible? We're not told that this particular party was a setup, but it sure felt like one, because in verse one it says the Pharisees were watching Jesus carefully, obviously trying to catch him doing something that they thought was wrong. And obviously this man with dropsy was not invited because they thought he was important. He was a pawn in their master plan. And so he was there to be a challenge for Jesus about whether Jesus should heal on the Sabbath or not. And so this is obvious to everybody, and so rather than let the trap be sprung, Jesus takes it head on. He asks everyone, and more specifically the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? All of a sudden, the Pharisees are stuck, because they know immediately as they're thinking about it, publicly, they're thinking, If we say it is lawful, we just got done teaching everybody that pretty much you can't do anything on the Sabbath, especially if we call it work. So they measured the number of steps you're allowed to take and all these little details that were not necessarily always lawful. And so if all of a sudden they said, oh Jesus, you can work and and heal on the Sabbath, then they would be hypocrites. On the other hand, if they said no, you can't heal this man in obvious pain, then they would look heartless. And so instead, they sat silently with hardened hearts. Verse four, we see that Jesus heals and then out of a certain amount of frustration, he tells a very short story saying, uh, if you have an ox or you have an animal who falls in a hole on the Sabbath, wouldn't you at least pick up the ox out of the hole? and yet you can't do this for a person in our midst. Before we're too hard on the Pharisees, we first need to first check our own hearts. After all, they were the religious establishment, and I don't know about you, but the longer I'm a Christian, the more I'm in danger of becoming just like them. I don't mean to. But the longer I'm a Christian and the longer I'm in church, let alone a church, the easier it is to get comfortable with what I'm comfortable with and whom I'm comfortable with. And so sometimes we lose sight of people. We forget to see people as people, especially for those of us who are in any form of leadership We no longer see people as valuable or made in the image of God. Maybe over time, we don't see people. We see a problem that's going to distract me from my goals. We don't see people. We see a resource to help us accomplish our goals. We don't see people. We see a commodity that will either boost our self-esteem or lower it. Many years later, this type of atmosphere and thought was going on in the early church, and we know this because James addresses it, and we have record of it, and so uh, hold your finger in Luke and turn to James chapter two. James chapter two, verses one through four. James says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. In the church gathering in the time of James, there was preferential treatment being given to those who were rich to have the seats of honor. And the poor were either given very low places or just the floor to sit. And so James says, don't do that. Don't show partiality. Don't show preferential treatment. The original word translated don't show or "show partiality literally means to receive the face. It means to judge a person based on face value. And so we value or devalue them on external things like physical appearance or social status or race or, or in this case wealth and power. The Pharisees were judging the sick man to be less valuable to them because he was weak he was ceremonially uncleaned, and they assumed he had hidden sin. So rather than be a person in their eyes, he was simply a pawn. The Pharisees judged Jesus on face value and thought he was disrespectful. He was an uneducated carpenter who had no right teaching, let alone teaching what he was teaching. Their Pharisees invited all of the outwardly rich and powerful guests to the party because on face value, they saw them as important, influential, and possibly valuable to get my social status even higher. What about us? How do we see people? Do we see people based on face value? Do we judge one another on artificial categories of wealth and education, talent, physical looks, gender, race? What if this is an issue and, and what if we're in a community where there is an insider-outsider culture? What are we supposed to do? Let's look at the rest of Luke to find out. Look at verse seven. When jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table he told them this parable this story and he says when you go to a wedding feast don't sit in the seat of of honor higher but take the lower place lest you be later displaced by someone more important if you take the lowest place then let the host raise you up to a higher place jesus first addresses the outsider So if you feel like one of the outsiders, whether at school or at work or in a small group or on a team or in church, the natural temptation, if we perceive ourselves as outside, that we want to move ourselves to the insider crowd, or in this case, move ourselves up to the higher seat, So, when I was in high school, I mentioned I didn't have a lot of money, but I tried to spruce up my 79 Corolla. I didn't have the money to do the proper work on it. It was a beautiful car, but I ruined it because I just tinkered with it to make it just look a little different, to try to fit in and to be able to park on Third Street without being embarrassed. I was able to afford uh, buying a pair of Air Jordans. Uh, back in the day, for those of you that called them reissued or, or brought back, that was the original, was the Air Jordan 2s. I thought if I wore these, then I, I would, it would move me up. And we won't even talk about my hair. <laughs> if I would have listened carefully to Jesus in the middle of that quad, he would have said to me, John, don't do that. Jesus, what do I do then? Do I just wait? Sit on the edge? Do I wait for someone to come and talk to me? No. Stop trying to look to break into the in crowd. And so the problem is is, is really not the problem of trying to make friends, it's the goal of friend-making that's wrong. When we wanna be in the in crowd, we want those friends mainly because it will help us feel better about ourselves. But Jesus says, don't try to raise yourself up in that way. Instead, take the lower place. What does that mean? I mean, it means many things, but minimally, rather than look up at those who are popular or in, try looking down to those who may be just as uncomfortable as you are or feel as overlooked as you do. You are not helpless to build community. You can follow in the footsteps of Jesus and reach out to those whom he would. And so rather than look up, look down. And so uh, because uh, most of my friends were on the basketball team and they were very good, they all moved on to the upper levels of junior varsity and varsity uh, the next year. And I wasn't that great, and so I just kind of stuck around on the freshman or the sophomore team, and, and I realized we were on a team of misfits, guys who just were just some strange guys, and I was one of them. And yet we all kind of got along. And it actually started to get kind of fun. Don't try to be fitting in with the in crowd. Don't wait around at the same time and expect people to come to you. Don't stay on the sidelines and feel sorry for yourself. Do what Jesus would do. Reach out to those who look as, as uncomfortable as you do. What if you're generally not an outsider, but you are one of the insiders? What if you've been at your workplace the longest? You've been on a basketball team for a long time. You've been at this church all your life. What if you know everybody? What's your role in building community? If that's you, Jesus addresses you also. Look what he says in verse 12, to the host of the party. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now try to step back for a moment and take in and just realize what Jesus is doing. He was invited to the party and then he looks at the host, the one who arranged the party and invited him and everyone else and he says, host, you invited all the wrong people. You invited the people you are comfortable with, the ones that made you feel good and look good. He says, don't do that. Next time, invite the ones that have nothing to offer to you. In this particular case, the poor and the handicapped. For those of you who are young people, I'll let you decide if whether you're a young person or not. But especially for those of you who are in grade school or high school, maybe even college. Many of you, like me, have grown up in this church for a very long time, and you know a lot of people. That's not a horrible thing. But if that's you, then know the words of Jesus speak directly to you and to me. If we're in the place where we are comfortable and we know people, then our responsibility is not to bring a, a, a greater comfort to ourselves, but it's to look around for those who look not in place or uncomfortable. Some of you might be thinking, well, how do I do that? And the easiest thing to do and the most important thing to do is at a youth group meeting, uh, at a, a, a Sunday school class, you actually stop and look around. Because sometimes, when we're so used to the way things go, we don't notice things because we're just used to the routine. And so sometimes we need to stop and look around and realize there are people who don't look like they're very comfortable, and they don't look like they're having a good time. And so the first step towards love is looking. And looking is a physical thing, but it's also a mental thing, because then we look and go, why do they look uncomfortable? Well, I don't know who they are. Maybe that's why they're uncomfortable. They don't know many people here. And then our hearts begin to move as we look towards them, and we think, if I was in their place, I'd feel pretty uncomfortable too, I guess. And then hopefully uh, our hearts and our bodies are beginning to move towards that person, and we just say, hi, what's your name? doesn't sound like a big deal, but if you're on the side, that's a big deal. I remember um, when I was in in Sunday school, when I was growing up here, back at Second End Evergreen, it was actually toward the end of the Vietnam War, and churches were sponsoring programs to have refugee families come over and sponsor them and actually provide for them um, a community in the church, um, physical resources, food and clothing, because they were obviously coming from a war-torn country. And I remember this larger uh, Vietnamese family came into Evergreen. And I know probably some of you here were influential in being a part of that happen. And thank you for doing that. And so the kids, I forgot how many kids, there were a lot in the family, but one of the younger ones was my age. And so he ended up in our class, And I didn't think much of it until one day I kind of slowed down to realize, gosh, he doesn't really speak English. I was looking and his clothes uh, looked very worn. They were probably donated. And I just never took the time to look and think, wait, where did he come from? Didn't we study something like that in, in class about some war? Our hearts won't be moved until we stop and we look and put ourselves in their shoes another way of saying it is that we kind of incarnate or we put we, we, we literally walk in their shoes But that won't happen if we're still too busy looking at ourselves and our own comfort Typically when we try to build community we naturally look for people that we're comfortable with and that, that's not horribly wrong But we also secretly are asking, how can I kind of benefit from this relationship? New Testament scholar Daryl Box says, the best hospitality is that which is given, not exchanged. In other words, to build a gospel community is one that takes effort in which we give of ourselves without really an expectation of what's in it for me. We intentionally take the lower place. We die to our comfort. We seek the outsider, the one who does not fit in, the one who has nothing to offer in return. Our time, our attention, our resources, our emotional energy is given without any expectation of reciprocity. Biblical community building begins with self-giving love. This is hard because I'm selfish. This is hard because if I don't take care of me, who's gonna take care of me? Why should I do this? Look at the rest of chapter 14. Verse 14 says, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So let's get the obvious one out of there first. The main reason, one amongst three reasons that we do this is because Jesus promised, you do this and you will be blessed. If not in this lifetime, you will be blessed in the lifetime to come. God rewards this kind of behavior, this kind of heart. And why is that? Why reach out to those who are forgotten and lowly? And why can we be blessed because they can repay us? He says, no, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. How is that a blessing? Uh, One minor one, actually it's not a minor one, but a side one is because you will begin to uh, uh, experience a community and have a group of friends that are diverse, that are actually interesting, and maybe even fun. Scholar Robert Alter calls people the elements or the centers of surprise. In other words, what you see on the outside may not be what's actually on the inside. And you'll never know until you extend yourself to someone who doesn't look or act like you. I remember uh, when we were uh, out at the church that we planted, my wife uh, was going to start a small group of women to disciple. And she just started with the people that god had put her into contact with in our church and i told her privately i said this is a pretty diverse group actually the word i used was this is a motley crew (laughs) because uh, they were just varying ages and varying stages and varying uh, issues and faith walk and i just thought how is this going to work but my wife just felt like well jesus put it in front of me and we're just going to try to love them and and it ended up being uh, one of the most life giving groups that, that uh, uh, the women had ever been a part of. And it was because obviously that because Jesus was the center, but it was also because uh, one of the oldest women in the group said, and she had been in, in the church or a church for all her life, and she said, I've never experienced anything like this. We thought, how wonderful and how sad. She had experienced the diversity, the beauty of the community that's not only rooted in Christ, but moving in his love. You know, the funny thing is when I became a senior in high school, uh, I had worked my way up to break into the quad. So I knew enough people. I didn't have the letterman's jacket, but I was playing varsity basketball. Uh, I, I even had a, a, a girlfriend that was in the in-group. So start of the senior year, I get into the quad. I'm looking around, I'm like, no pennies are flying. I sit down on the cement concrete, and I'm just relaxing, and I look around, and I go, so is this it? <laughs> okay and then day after day passed, and I'm hanging out with people that look like me or I look like them and I act like them, and it didn't take long to realize this is really boring. (laughs) These people are really boring. Brothers and sisters, if the community that you're in on a regular basis is boring, Maybe it's because we have yet to experience the thrill as well as the challenge of reaching out and loving others like Jesus. Or maybe it's because we have not received the joy of experiencing the diverse beauty of the body of Christ. Or maybe it's because everyone or the majority of the people you're hanging out with actually look and act and sound just like you and so they're not boring but maybe you are. Did he just call me boring? I did. So why will you be blessed? Because Jesus says, I'll reward it. Why will you be blessed? Because we now begin to experience the diverse beauty of the body that Jesus shed his blood for. And why will you be blessed? Because this ultimately pleases God. Why? Because this is the heart of God. This is true biblical love, this is gospel love, this is the heart of God. Romans 5, 6, it says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, that's you and me. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die, but God shows his love, how? He shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still dead, while we were still on the outside, while we were still nobody, Christ died for us. Do you realize none of us have a right to determine who's inside and who's outside? Why? Because in God's holy eyes and presence, we're all outsiders. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short. We're all wayward sons and daughters. And yet God reached out to us when we had nothing to offer. We were unsightly on the outside, on face value, and then he looked on the inside and realized my heart was a sinful mess, and yet he died for me and for you while we were still on the outside. Why? Because he wanted to bring us on the inside and the inside is not inside of church. The only perfect, diverse, beautiful, loving community that has ever existed is the one between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a perfect triune community. And so uh, the amazing thing is that if you want to cut, say there's an inside, that's the inside group. Anything and everyone outside of that is outside. And so the amazing thing is when Jesus prays for the sheep in John 17, in verse 20 he says, I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one. They, the the, the those who are saved in Christ would be one, just as the Father and me are one, and in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, and that they may become perfectly one. You know, the amazing thing, there's so much there, but in in essence, what Jesus is praying is, may the church, those whom I'm going to shed my blood for, may the Father make them one in me and bring them home to be part of us. In other words, make them one as outsiders by bringing them inside to be in community and communion with us, in and through the sacrificial blood of Jesus. That's mind blowing. We are invited to participate and be a part of the perfect triune community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we have no right to be there but by the blood of Christ. Now, when we kind of begin to comprehend that just a tiny bit, it's mind blowing, and then there's no way we can ever look around here on this earth and go, "He's inside, he's outside, I'm inside." You're, you know how ridiculous that is. I can't imagine what God was doing when He was looking down on me and just looking, "Son, what what are you doing with the quad?" We're so good at trying to build up superficial walls that Jesus has already brought down. Colossians 3.11 says here there is not a Greek or a Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised, a barbarian, a Scythian, a slave, a free. Why? Christ is all and in all. In Christ we are one because nothing matters. There are no more walls in Christ. Let us not resurrect them. They have been torn down. We are all one, so let's start acting like it. I believe in the DNA of this church, there is great hope. Because before I was ever wrestling with the issues of the quad, uh, I was a, a, a seven year old kid who had lost his father uh, to stomach cancer and had just started attending this church called Evergreen Baptist uh, down in, in East Los Angeles. We are an unknown family, just the three of us. My mom was a young widow, and it was me and my sister. And many of you who are still here, we were at least, if you want to talk about insider outsider culture, we were outsiders. And we had nothing to offer, but sorrow and loneliness and pain. And you, Evergreen Baptist Church, didn't see any barriers and brought us in and became family. It's in our DNA. It's obviously in Christ, but it's also even in our history. We can't forget that. And so the longer we're here, the more that we need to be reminded, not just of our history of Evergreen, but our history in Christ. And so I have great hope that because God has worked in and through this body in this way, that he will continue to do so in an even new and greater way. But it's going to require that we do small, intentional Uh, things to move in the love of Jesus so here's a small one you want to mess with pastor Rocky's mind (laughs) next week when he comes up to pray uh, preach sit in different seats (laughs) preachers know generally where you're sitting one it'll mess with his mind because he'll just be like something's off and I don't quite get it now for those of you who have small children I understand why you're back there but by time, and I do this too, I get comfortable in my own seats and the people that I'm used to sitting with, and that's not a horrible thing, but over time it's like we need to move around a little bit, meet a few new people, extend ourselves. In Philippians 2, Paul instructs us to do nothing from selfish ambition but count others more significant than ourselves. Look to the interests of others. But my seed, I, I, I know where it is. and Look to the interests of others. Count others more important than yourself. Why? Because we want to be like Jesus. The good news is is. The the bad news is is you're going, this is a little scary, not just changing seats, well, maybe for some of you, but if I begin to extend myself in that Sunday school classroom or on that basketball team or in that youth group or in that small group or during the coffee hour or during the the, the time before and after the service, it's going to be a little uncomfortable. It's going to cost me a little bit of time, a little bit of energy, You know the good news is? Is that in of yourself and in of myself, we do not have the ability to do it. But it says here that when we look and act in the heart of God, that Jesus not only rewards us, but really he goes with us. And so that's where we just cry upon him and say, Jesus, help me be like you today. Help me overcome my fear my discomfort. Give me your heart. You have the heart of leaving the 99 to just go for that one. Would you help me to see that one and then help me to move toward that one? Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for this church. I love this church. I've been loved by this church. But I know just having been at this church for quite some time, it's easy to get comfortable It's easy to think it's about me. It's easy to see walls or barriers or parameters that really are not there because, Jesus, you've torn them down. Lord, would you give each of us eyes to see the ways in which we are just way too comfortable Would you give us eyes to see the ways in which you have blessed us and loved us and brought us into your family in and through Christ, and therefore we are free to go and love others like you do? Would you give us eyes to see the one that we might leave the 99 in our sections of seating or friends or small group and to reach out to the one, and whether that be in the church or outside the church, Jesus, help us. And as it says in that passage, uh, the, they will really know in John 17, the world will know that we're with you because of the way that we are loving the outsider, the way that we are loving just like you. May that be so by your grace. And may you be glorified through it. In Jesus' name, amen.